With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Two. One. Fragments of Silicon, broadcasting live from the periodic table. Fragments of Silicon. I'm your host, Adam, and joining me as always are the usual suspects. Um, Ogre? You'll never get me, coppers. <laughs> oh, that hurt. Why didn't nobody tell me bullets hurt? Surprise! Yeah, uh, I don't even know what to say. Anyway, uh, Petty Fan? Yo. Daleks? I consider myself more of an unusual suspect. <laughs> I don't hate yourself. <laughs> and Twilight. Hello. <laughs> All right. So, let's see. Penny mm. Fan, you go first this week. Oh, right. News. Um, honestly, not a whole lot's really been happening. Um, I won't actually be losing internet like I thought I was going to because we got that sorted out, so... Thank God. Yeah. That's uh, always good. Oh, uh, you, don't forget, he's, he's also kind of the technical backbone of the show, and I didn't want to have to drastically revamp things, you know, for the better part of a month. Right. Um... Played the final story stuff for Final Fantasy fourteen and wondering if it's freaking June yet. Well, it's almost April, so it'll be closer. My body is ready. <laughs> I just want my Red Mage hat. That's all I'm caring about. And you have fun with Red Mage. <laughs> Whatever uh, <laughs> Actually, I'm probably not going to be doing either Red Mage or Samurai, because DPSQs are going to be a nightmare. That's why you should do Tank first. Anyway, rest yeah. your news. Um, ranked it there. Not a whole lot's been going on outside of that. So next, right. next one. All right, uh, Twilight, uh, you go. Um, not much going on around here either, really. Besides, first day of cutting grass for the rest of spring, summer. I think that's uh, literally your news report for every week you've been on the program. <laughs> Almost. 
Yeah. Well, he has to keep everything in line with Kentucky's new banality law. <laughs> Seems like it. Anyway, all right, uh, Galax, yeah. you're. Um, I've been continuing to play Breath of the Wild. There is a lot of Breath of the Wild to play. I am trying to decide which beast to take on second. Um, and uh, probably this evening I won't get to play it much because I'm hoping to get some time to play one of the games that we're playing for review this Sunday. Um, yeah, I get not too much else going on. I've been having a little bit of stress from various things but nothing too serious so not really worth mentioning alright um, sorry I guess I'm kind of boring this week too anyway alright Ogre uh, well let's see last Thursday I went to the dentist to do my wax fitting which was my <sighs> penultimate thing I have to do for my dentures, which thankfully they fit so marvelously, I still feel bad I didn't take a picture just so I can go, ah, soon enough. Soon enough. Soon. Which, which <laughs> thankful, well, soon enough, because it's April 14th when I go back in to get them. And soon yeah. you'll be able to bite things again. Oh, yeah, we already got sweet corn set up for that night. And spoilers, it gets delayed. <laughs> I've been waiting. <laughs> uh, if, if it does, there may be uh, maybe troubles with windows. <laughs> and or human skulls. No, no, just windows. Let's see. This is my last week of calling in for jury duty, so hopefully nothing bad happens there. <laughs> I'm hoping most people in my city have managed either stay smart and stay out of trouble or made a plea uh, plea, do, uh, plea bargain. So. <laughs> uh. But, uh, let me see. And, uh, recording's going fine. Yeah. Still feels like there is so little to do, but yet so much left to do in that game. It's hard to gauge how far you're through. Yeah. It's not really chapter-like, and it's not really set up like Sticker Star. It's more organic, I guess. Well, it keeps switching off stars. Like, it's very uh, unusual yeah, you, for a Nintendo game. You thought you were going to do all red for the red star, but it's, like, red a bit, and then you go do some blue. And for, like, the orange star, for the yellow star, we did some orange and then yellow. I mean, I kind of understand, because the color wheel and I'm pretty sure there's something in there but you would think you'd do all red and then get red and then it does still kind of feel like you're playing Mario 3 except for that after like World 1-1 one, one, you like have to take a detour through 2-4 and 2-7 before you can get to 1-4 yeah that's just it's something weird but yet some it's weird but it's weird in that good way it's like oh it's just throwing you for a loop that's actually pretty good Mm-hmm. So basically, you you might be at uh, playing Color Splash for a good while yet. Ah, yeah, probably. What is it? I, I don't really mind. It's not that. It's not like oh my god, it's the worst game ever. It doesn't. It's it's way better than people gave it 
credit for, but it's still bad because the battle system kind of just makes that whole thing feel worthless. I'm aware. Um, and just think, the battle system is still a step up from the last attempt. <laughs> well, at least, yeah, at least you still get some form, manner of experience from it, so... It's not a complete wash. Mm-hmm. And then, other than that, I just... Still gotta pre-order Stormblood at some point, just to have that ready. Because, man... That was a cutscene, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Not uh, started up a new game recently. Um, yeah. Crotel Renovations. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't really. I don't really talk too much about that stuff with him. Yeah. Uh, he does have interesting plans later on if they work out. So we'll see how that how. all works out. Interesting how, like. Uh, just interesting. I guess. I mean, I know what he's doing right now. But that was expected if a little sooner than I was expecting. Yeah. Also, my last thought before I hand it off to you, Adam. Uh, I hate lights. Not the worst part of this relic, but I still hate lights. <laughs> but it's making me like PvP, so I'm a little, little iffy on the whole thing. Lights? Uh, With the... I'll explain later if, I care, if anybody cares. Yeah, so. we can explain it later. It's a Final Fantasy fourteen thing, obviously. Okay, as long as you're not going to go smash up lamps or something. <laughs> that could be involved at some point. Depends on what the duty is. <laughs> no vandalism on the show. Anyway, uh, my turn. Uh, let's see. It's been a busy week. Uh, as mentioned, had to had to take my mother to well. Turns out she did. Uh, it wasn't a mammogram, but it was um, an MRI. An MRI. Like um, she mentioned that she actually already had the mammogram, and now she needs to go in. She needs to go in for um, magnetic imaging um, to see what's going on in her chest region. Uh, it's like. Um, most likely suspect is, um, calcification, because she had an accident, uh, she had an accident a couple years ago, and, you know, she had some hard tissue damage there, so that may be the cause of what, you know, whatever's going on there, you know, um, s still don't think it's going to be anything, you know, malignant or cancerous, but, but the, uh, you know, this is all just to make sure everything's fine. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, also, I have to go to her place uh, during the weekend because she's got some spring cleaning to do. Translation, uh, that means heavy shit I need to lift. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. No. Uh, let's see. In terms of the show, yeah, it's been really busy because um, our review, like our review games this week, are, are you know two of our most notable for the year. I'll be honest, like you know I've put a good seven weeks into Thimbleweed Park already, and about an hour and a half into Has Been Heroes, but um, you know in you know. Um, in between two, 
know, uh, two games and two interviews, yeah, it, it, and all of the extracurricular stuff. It's been uh, pretty busy over here. Mm -hmm. I, um, about it as far as news goes. Um, so, merrily we shall roll along to the interview portion. And this week we are welcoming Jason Sams and Alex uh, Mayer of Shy Snake Games. Hi. Hello. Hello. Right. Uh, okay. So, usually we like to start out our interviews by uh, getting to know the people behind the game or the studio or whatever. Um, and we'd like to start by asking, how did you both get interested in games in the first place? Well, I've been... Uh, actually, this is Jason. I learned to program writing games a long, long time ago. Uh, I was originally developing stuff for the old TRS-80 and then moved on to things like the Apple II uh, family computers. And for me, writing games is just a way to learn how the machine worked. So that's kind of how I got started. And I just like playing them. I don't know. It was kind of easy in the sense of, hey, that's fun. I, I want to do more of that. Like, and um, what entry point did you have? Like, um, did you start on the PC or was it the console? Yeah, I, I was a PC gamer. I've, I've only had a console to play Gran Turismo for a while. Um, that that was, you know, we, we both like to drive cars uh, for fun and not so much profit. And uh, I, I used to really like to play Gran Turismo and... Uh, so I bought the console just for that, and that's the only console game I've ever owned. Sorry, console gamers. <laughs> just the original Gran Turismo? Huh? Uh, did you only own the original Gran Turismo, or did you keep up with the sequels? Uh, I got the GT5, so uh, not the original. Yeah, I've, I've not played it for that long, because I only got into driving um, about, what, 10 years ago? So um, by the time I decided that I wanted to get a console just to practice my driving in the off-season, I was like, uh, you know, the, the series was far enough advanced, and uh, there we were. I got to admit, I, I've only played, like, the original Gran Turismo, so I, I, I wouldn't know. Like, <laughs> now, it's, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's a uh, close enough emulation of the driving experience that, you know, it's it's actually a challenge. Um. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Um, right, so how did you move into games, uh, you know, as a profession? I, I'll let, uh, well, I guess I'll start. Um, I just want to do something creative outside of the corporate world because, you know, I've, I've worked in, different kinds of corporations for um, my entire career and I'm actually a hobbyist, artist and writer and all of those things and I wanted to do more of that too and um, you know usually corporations are like not very flexible when they hire you for one thing they want you to continue doing that thing so if I wanted to do something else I had to change jobs and, and that was kind of my way of doing it just try and uh create something of my own instead of trying to find people who would hire me to write things or artist things. So, um, Jason? 
Well, for me, it was a little different because I started doing game development early, early on. I found that I missed it uh, working in corporate world. And it's something that I wanted to go back to. And the opportunity finally presented itself uh, to actually go and do a serious game. And I decided to jump on it. Interesting. Um, certainly heard this uh, the story before of people uh, leaving the... Well, I, 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 I suppose it should be mentioned that you guys... Um, you, you both of you worked at Google, correct? Yes. Um, and what were you two doing at Google? Uh... So uh, my background has it's been graphics and uh, performance-related computing for a long time. So at Google, I created the um, the CPU and GPU-based compute solution for Android developers. And I was um, a developer relations um, person, basically running uh, different programs that were aimed at developers who were outside of Google, developing solutions on top of Google, and um, kind of trying to smooth the whole process and you know create lines of communications between the teams inside Google who were developing the products and developers outside who were you know writing using those APIs or something and um, kind of get them to work together and to improve the products that way too and make everybody just happier in the process. So basically you were a liaison. Yes, I would call myself kind of like a developer, almost advocate. I mean, at Google it's actually a different job uh, title than what I had, I was a, uh, a developer relations uh, program manager. But in reality, what I would be doing is would be advocating for my you know, external developers internally so that they would get their voices heard and their requests heard when something was, um, you know, if certain APIs needed to be changed or amended or please don't kill those. Um, that, that would be like something that I would do because the developers would come to me and voice their concerns or questions and I would go and internally advocate for them and then relay the message back if necessary. So, yeah, liaison. Right, um, before I continue my line of questioning, uh, Petty Fan, I want to see if you have any questions for our uh, duo here because he's our tech guy. Um, let's see. Like, I was just wondering, like, how hard was it to develop the stuff for Google? Like, you work stuff for, like, 3DFX, ATI, which we actually did have a 3DFX topic that kind of got botched that we really wanted to get into, but... Th that was because your uh, audio just completely got... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Trust me, that yeah, was not... Yeah, when the guy who's most... Con most qualified to talk about the topic uh, has tech fails and can't be heard. Uh, it's hard to carry that. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. So, uh, what was it like working uh, to develop the compute runtime on Android? Mm -hmm. It was, I would say, it was a lot of work uh, because we were taking a, a different approach than a lot of the industry took. Um, 
So there were a lot of moving parts because you had, well, effectively we were dealing with multiple um, GPU vendors and had to work with them to get their drivers up and running. And there's an amazing amount of work getting device drivers to work well. Uh, but in addition to that, we also had uh, to provide a reference implementation for devices that didn't have uh, hardware acceleration or they hadn't written a driver for it. So we had to maintain our own compiler tool chain and we actually had to specify the language um, that both of these things used. And it was a, it was a lot of work, uh, but in the end it paid off uh, for us. And what we found is we managed to simplify uh, compute to the point where it actually got a tremendous amount of developer adoption. Uh, probably the most common thing uh, it's used for on Android was blurring of images, where if you see the, the really large uh, blur radius uh, images in a lot of apps, uh, that was done through this compute runtime in many cases. And is this still used on Android to this day? or? Well, I, I, it is still supported is my understanding. I mean, I left the company a little while ago, so I, I don't know what they've done with it since I, I left the team. But uh, last I saw, it was still supported and still very heavily used. Interesting. Right, uh, so yeah, I was going to say that's uh, all from me. Yeah. Uh, right. So as far as the question uh, that beckons is, what opportunity came along that uh, got you um, away from Google and into the independent game scene? The best way to put it uh, would be I was uh, extremely bored at Google, and the opportunity was I could take a year off from working at Google and actually go uh, work with Alex to start a company to do this. Um, the opportunity mostly was financial, uh, basically being able to afford to do it. Hmm. Uh, uh, not sure if Alex is going to chime in here or... Well, for me, I, I guess the, the most important um, thing was when I kind of reached a point where I really wanted to do something new and creative. And, and um, I came home one day and I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And Jason is like, why don't you make a game? And I was like, what? I can do that? That's allowed? <laughs> you know, I, think, I think the missing background here is Alex has a lot of background doing art. And she really enjoys doing art. And I'm like, rather than managing communities, why don't you go do some art and make a game out of it? And that's kind of where it started. Yeah, and I was, you know, I, I, it took some prodding and convincing because I wasn't like immediately going, oh my God, yeah, I'm just gonna, you know, jump ship and leave Google and just, you know, go do make a game because I've never made a game before. And I had even no idea what, you know, how I would go about it and what's all involved. Uh, so it was fairly intimidating to kind of just think about it, but uh, you know, my enabler slash instigator slash husband was like, "Do it anyway." So, <laughs> uh, so I did. It's uh, I, it kind of, I mean, it, it proved to be a boom because not only have I been able to do something really rewarding and exciting and and just, you know, fun by definition. Uh, I've also been able to learn so many new things along the way, just, just you know, running the company, you know, um, coming up with all the social media stuff and, and 
learning the um, you know to edit videos and creating the logo of which I'm super proud of. Uh, you know, um, those are just kind of things that I would have never, ever, ever had to learn or gotten the ability to, you know, do at all. Um, and so it's just been super fun doing that. And a little, you know, at times it's stressful because, like, it's really just the two of us. And when you think about it, it's like everything has to be, everything that happens in this company has to be done by us. Um, and... On the other hand, it's you know it's a wonderful challenge to to kind of learn so many things that I would have otherwise never tried. Indeed, uh, fairly common story from the you know the people we get on the program. Like we get a lot of indie devs, so you know, and they are usually small teams that have to wear a lot of hats, as they say. Um, anyway, so uh, your game is called Spy DNA. And I believe we have a trailer here. Give um, me one minute to set that up. Yeah, um, we'll play it and then we'll uh, come back to the audio. Yeah. Um, you can actually talk about it a little bit while I'm getting things set up. It's going to take up like right. a minute. All right. So yeah, so the trailer is, um, again, I, I made it, so don't blame me too much for it. Um, I'm not even sure how representative it is of the actual gameplay, but I tried to make it, you know, look exciting and, and appealing. Um, how long ago was this trailer cut? Um, I think I cut it before we went to Greenlight, so about a month ago. Um, so it uses footage that is fairly recent. I mean, it, the game looks the way it looks. But I think because, you know, our game is fairly measured in pace and, um, you know, a, there's a lot of deliberate action and, and time to think. Like if I used actual, at least so I thought, if I used actual gameplay footage unedited, it would be too slow and unexciting. So I cut out a lot of the pauses so the trailer looks more dynamic and fast-paced than an actual game experience would be. Um, but now that we're through green light and, you know, we actually have a path to early access and, and stuff. So before we get our steam, um, page, where we're going to start selling the early access, uh, release, um, I'm going to make a better trailer and maybe even, you know, pay somebody to do it because now that we, you know, have a path to make some money, we can risk spending some of it on other people helping us professionally. <laughs> All right, I am ready to play it now. All right, uh, go ahead.
right. now. Um, so, um, for our po uh, podcast listeners, um, yeah, we put out two versions of the show: a um, video version and an audio, an audio-only version. So, for those who couldn't actually watch the trailer, um, Spy DNA is a tactical strategy RPG where um, it, it's also, it's based around realistic weapons development. Um, and I suppose my first question is, um, what is the level of detail in terms of realism uh, here? Uh, the level of detail, uh, I would call it extreme. Uh, Basically, uh, we've put a lot of effort into making as much in the game as we can uh, behave as it would in real life. So I've taken to calling it more of a simulation than the typical tactical game. Uh, just to give people an idea for what we're shooting for. But the level of detail, for example, um, when you're aiming at a target, a lot of the typical tactical games, they just give you a percentage to hit. And then if you hit, a weapon will do some amount of damage. They'll usually say like four to eight points, uh, some range, and they roll the dice. Uh, we actually took a very different approach. So for our game, what we're doing is we're actually actually calculating the accuracy of the shot. And you fire, you fire the shot where you intend to aim, and then the game computes where it actually goes. So it's usually not dead on target. Uh, and based on that, if you hit the target, it's the damage is done based on where you hit the target and what you hit it with. So we took out the concept of damage rolls and hit points, and instead we built a as best we could a simulation of the human anatomy and actually simulate the effects of gunfire and explosions and things like that. So we put a lot of effort into trying to make it uh, a, a realistic simulation uh, for combat. So like if you hit somebody in the lungs, it'll most likely kill them as opposed to some games where your body shot, they're still just fine. Uh, yes, and it's actually a little further than that because uh, say if you hit them in the lungs, over if it doesn't incapacitate them right away, they'll eventually start having problems breathing and they could suffocate, say, five minutes later. Interesting. I'm like, um, now, how did you achieve the, uh, this via research? Like, um, did you go out to, like, a gun range and shoot a bunch of weapons into uh, human analogs? <laughs> Good, yeah, not, not into humans. <laughs> yeah. No, no, they call them human analogs. Um, stuff yeah. like ballistic gel dummies. Yes, I, I, I know what you're talking about. No, we didn't do that. Uh, thankfully, this thing called YouTube has tons and tons of videos of someone else having already done that for us. Mythbusters is a great archive of this, just saying. <laughs> but uh, one of the things we also did is uh, there are a couple websites where they were showing various uh, world record attempts at either hitting a target at a distance or firing off as many shots as the person could in a short period of time. And so we looked at a lot of world records for how fast can a human run, uh, how accurately can they shoot, uh, those type of things. And we use those to set the upper bounds for what, a, say, an attribute 100 human would achieve in the game. And then, of course, because we have um, genetic modifications, we can have superhuman abilities in some of these people because, uh, you know, if I 
human, the best of the best, achieves 100, then you could have 120 or so if, if, if you get some sort of a retinal DNA improvements um, so that, you know, you're, suddenly your retina is two or six times or eight times uh, has better resolution than in a regular human, that sort of thing. And um, what sorts of weapons uh, did you focus on? So right now, I think there's 20-something uh, weapons in the game, but they're all small arms uh, today. So we have a variety of pistols, uh, rifles, sniper rifles, uh, and uh, hand grenades at the moment. We'll be adding more as we go along, uh, but the big constraint there is just getting the 3D models uh, because actually doing the physics model is pretty easy, but making them look good on on screen is probably the most uh, time-consuming part. Now, are these like actual weapon models, or are they just like mock-ups that you guys made? Well, because the game's set roughly 70 years in the future, uh, they're models that we made that aren't based on anything in the real world. Ah, so you won't get like a Desert Eagle pistol or something like that. You you will get things that are inspired by them. You know, you basically... Yeah, well, funny that you brought up the Desert Eagle. <laughs> she says that because we actually do have a, a heavy 11-millimeter pistol in the game that is, for the people who like the giant sidearms, uh, they'll have something to carry. <laughs> if you ever need to shoot a bear or something like that. Exactly. No. Well, you know, in our game, maybe the bear shoots you. <laughs> Are there going to be any, you know, um, lasers in the game? Uh, anything like heavy sci-fi, or is it all lasers? Um, so we... <laughs> lasers aren't necessarily as heavy sci-fi as they were ten years ago. Yeah. I'm talking about lasers that can actually kill people. I mean, we, we we've got the laser sights, yes, but you know, lasers. No, they've, they've actually come out with like anti-missile laser weapons. You, you know what I mean in terms of. You know, a laser pistol. We don't have the. <laughs> so right now, the underlying simulation engine actually does have support for laser-based uh, weapons. Uh, we actually have uh, magnetic weapons in game already, uh, but we haven't actually added any laser-based weapons to the game so far. But the uh, the underlying simulation does already support them. Right, so, so like, you know, more sci-fi weapons are a go. Yes, and I think right now where you see the sci-fi type weapons are the, the Gauss rifles, uh, the ones that shoot very high-velocity darts. Um, <laughs> so we already have some futuristic stuff in there. Now, um, in, I suppose on the flip side of the coin, are you looking in, into bow integration, you know, bow and arrows? So uh, I think bow and arrows will probably be something that won't get commonly used because I, I've, if you watch something like the James Bond movies, you, you don't usually see them carrying a crossbow. <laughs> um, but we will have uh, melee weapons, so like the low-tech hammer that you might find if you need to improvise a weapon, uh, those will certainly be in there. Well, and, and, you know, knives, brass knuckles, maybe, things like that. Hand-to-hand um, uh, -hand as well. Uh, we already support hand-to-hand, -hand, but we have a large number of improvements planned for it. And also, it, it, this is something that many people asking for features may not know. 
in order to implement it, not only do we have to support it, which in many cases we do, but we need to pay somebody to make the model. And in cases of hand-to-hand -hand combat, we need to pay somebody to record every movement and every possible movement combination. So like, if you're punching, you need to be able to punch crouching or standing or whatever. And um, that is where the early access kind of comes in because if, if we are successful, we'll be able to add many more things that you know um, demo players have been asking us for just because we'll have the money to actually hire mocap studios and artists to um, to create those movements. And same in the same vein, we'll be able to pay the 3D designer who made uh, the weapons to make more. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's underestimated just how much work ends up going into mocap uh, for these type of games. When I last looked, we had something right around a thousand animation clips already in the game. And the library that we're pulling from, we actually have about 3,000 of them, uh, uh, many of which haven't been pulled in yet uh, because they're movement types uh, that aren't in the game at this point. But even with that number, there's still a lot of them that we don't yet have and we'll have to have someone record. Uh, a good example of that is the, we bought a lot of these in uh, packs from people who had recorded them ahead of time. And so they had prone movement with rifles, which is good. You know, that's the thing you do. But they didn't have, say, reload the rifle while prone. So there's a couple places where you'll see animations missing just because, for some reason, they only provided reload when you're standing. Uh, so we'll get those fixed, but it just takes time. Of course. Um, and speaking of time, how, how long have you been working on the game so far? So I started working on it in um, 2015, and I started by writing the story and kind of writing out a lot of the dialogue and prototyping a few uh, ideas. And then Jason joined me full-time February last year, 2016. And so it's been, what, a year and, and a month since we've been full-time working on it. And, um, you know, about eight months prior to that, I've been working on dialogue and um, storyline and things like that. And um, how far would you say the game is in terms of a playable state? Well, we have a playable alpha demo available already. And um, it's, I mean, it represents a current, current state from about a month ago uh, when we made it available. Um, and... Um, we're moving very rapidly towards early access, which will include a better UI. It will include um, more, uh, Jason wants to say something. Well, I, I was gonna go through what we're changing for early access, because with a demo, uh, we didn't provide a lot in terms of gameplay content, meaning that you can play through everything in the demo probably in about 30 minutes to two hours. So you know, clearly that's not gonna cut it for early access or obviously for a final release. Uh, so what we're adding between now and when you'll see this go on sale is a lot more content in terms of missions, maps, uh, things you can do in the game. But in terms of the mechanics, the gameplay rules, I would say about 90% of them are already in place uh, because one of the things we didn't talk much about is the simulation engine behind all this, uh, outside of the, the graphics, 
it was actually written years and I wrote it about 15 years ago as a tool uh, back in the days I used to run in pen and paper games. And so as the GM, I wrote this to help me manage the game world that the players were playing in. So it had a horrible Windows uh, MFC interface. But uh, since I was the only user, that was okay. I could operate my own thing. But uh, a lot of the simulation in terms of tracking where shots go, figuring out you know how much energy things lose over distance, all that logic is already in place and actually been fairly well debugged for a long time. So mostly what we're working on is UI, graphics, maps, uh, missions. Basically all the things that the user sees as opposed to what makes the game tick under the hood. Right, makes sense. And um, what is this timeline feature? So one of the things that really separates us uh, from a lot of games is a lot of people, they like turn-based games. Uh, but turn-based games, they have a limit to how realistic you can make them because characters are going in turn. And when you're watching a battle in real world, you know you don't see everyone just stop while one person runs across the field and then the next person goes. Uh, everything's happening at once. So what we did is uh, every action you take in the game takes some amount of time. Uh, so, for example, drawing your weapon may take half a second. Um, running 10 meters may take, you know, two seconds. Uh, so each character, you give them the actions you want them to execute, and then when those actions are complete, the game will return to that character because it's effectively that character's turn now where you queue up some more actions. Uh, and you can queue up as many as you want, but what we found is even though we had a larger queuing ability that players ended up playing by queuing very small amounts at once. Uh, so we emphasize the UI around that uh, typical usage behavior. But at a high level, the concept is the character's turns come up whenever they finish doing whatever they were doing prior. So you don't have to wait, and you don't have to wait for necessarily everyone else on the map to finish what they're doing before you can go. And so it, it creates a lot of different type of um, experiences for the player. For example, a grenade can be exploding, and you can actually see the fireball on the screen, and the game will pan to your characters like, what would you like to do now? And you're thinking, I would like to duck. <laughs> I would like to run. I would like to run really fast now. Right. And so what is the um, story of Spy DNA? So the game is set in 2075, or at least, I mean, kind of. It could be plus minus 10 years. It's not too distant of a future, so basically it's sci-fi to the point where the, you know, cutting-edge tech we know today is just, duh, everybody knows and uses it, and it actually works. Um, and then some things that, you know, are only in prototype stage today, such as, uh, you know, Gauss rifles or uh, magnetic weapons in general, the military has been prototyping them, and they've made really big ones that, you know, you need an aircraft carrier or something to transport around. But in the future, a person can carry one of those. They've been miniaturized to the point where, uh, you know, a, a strong person can just carry one of those into battle. So that's the kind of future we're aiming for, where, you know, um, we don't have, like, beam-me-up Scotty situations, but... Um, 
we have better, cooler, more precise weapons, and we have the DNA um, enhancement technology, and that's kind of the whole premise of the game, that when the game starts, your character joins the squad um, of genetically enhanced soldiers. They start out without any enhancements, and then you take a questionnaire, and we provide enhancements based on your, you know, preferences. How would you like to do battle? Do you, you know, do you even want to do battle, or do you want to sneak around, or, you know, what is it that, how do you want to play the character? And, um, and then you get frozen, because, again, it took, even in the future, it's still expensive to make, um, you know, genetically enhanced people. So once you get frozen, um, they thaw you for, you know, engagements whenever you're needed. And so one fine morning, you wake up from your cryogenic sleep, and your lab has been attacked, and the research has been stolen. And now you have to kind of trace, you know, track down the people who've stolen the research um, and try to prevent them from selling it to whoever they want to sell it to. Um, and, I mean, so far we have revealed at least that much to the, um, you know, to the reading public on our blog. Basically, the people who stole it want to sell it to a rogue nation who wants to create an army of super soldiers. And, of course, that's kind of exactly not what you want to happen. So your job is to prevent that sale from happening. Um, and, of, and because you don't know who stole the stuff, you have to do a little bit of investigation, infiltration. Um, if there are basically a lot of just legwork that the spies do, trying to find out, you know, who on the black market would be interested in things like that. Just, um, and yeah, and that's kind of how the game starts. And um, the game will take you from, you know, your local town where it all happens from the city uh, all across the world to different locations where you will be kind of tracking down the criminals. And um, how long are you aiming to make this game? Um, probably, I mean, at the very least 40 hours or so. But what we have, we didn't have that ability when we first were making the forecast of about 40 hours or more. Uh, we Now we have um, procedural maps, procedural, not just maps, but procedural missions. That's what Jason is working on, and that's what should be included in early access, which makes the game almost infinitely replayable as long as you want to keep playing. Um, because we can generate any number of missions with different objectives, different locations, um, different constraints, um, you know, something that, I don't know, if, if, let's say, your mission takes place in a desert, you probably cannot be uh, bringing along, like, really heavy battle suits or something because you'll pass out from the heat or whatever. I, it's just an example of a constraint. Um, or like if you're infiltrating an, a base where you need a dive uh, to kind of swim through the waterways to uh, infiltrate some the enemy base, you probably don't want to be carrying like gold ingots in your pockets because that may not help with your buoyancy. <laughs> um, that sort of stuff. So oh, man, um, video games taught me if there's one thing they taught me it's that when you put something in your pocket, it stops having weight. <laughs> You haven't yes. been playing the right video games. Like, uh, you know, that's more on the PC side of things. 
Yeah, no, I know. Actually being a thing. Like, like you know, console RPGs typically don't take into account weight, and, but but PC RPGs, oh yeah, yeah, you know, inventory space, all that stuff are considerations. And then there's Monkey Island, where I think you, like, get thrown overboard with a ball and chain around your leg, and your solution to get out of that is to put the ball and chain in your inventory. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> when it's in your inventory, it doesn't have any weight, so you can just swim away. <laughs> and that's an actual game mechanic. It's Monkey Island. It, 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 it's, that, that's, it's, uh, it's comedy, but it's a game mechanic. Yeah. But well, no. If that's an intended game mechanic, that's actually you know that that's that's a nice uh, kind of an inside joke, I guess. That's fun. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely speaking to Ron Kilbert's uh, style of humor. But um, anyway, speaking of uh, realistic um, components. Uh, you, you, it's not just the weapons, but you, you you got listed on your website that um, body armor will actually function as body armor. Yeah, that's um, my my first reaction was well, obviously, I mean that's the name of it, uh, but what we're doing is the armor you wear, the clothing you wear. The idea is that it'll behave like it does in the real world as much as we can make it do so. So that most of the time, the armor will stop the projectile or it won't. But what, I guess, and this is just a pet peeve of mine, I, I don't like games that, like, half-stop all the shots that come your way. Uh, I don't know who would buy an armored suit that's, like, uh, it slightly reduces the bullet's energy. Uh, I would rather have this, you know, the armor suit that actually stops something. Uh, so, yes, uh, we're trying our best to make armor behave. If you look at the uh, real world, any given piece of armor, it's rated for you know, it'll stop these type of rounds, it will not stop these other type. And that's effectively what we've implemented. Right, and has that uh, does the body armor have sci-fi variants as well? So far it does not, uh, but the flip side of that is uh, one of the things you can do with your characters for sci-fi purposes is you can actually implant light armor into your characters. So if you're going, you know, as a spy, you're going to the uh, the fancy party, and, you know, the most you can maybe wear is a business suit if you're lucky. Uh, this gives you some amount of armor that you can take with you, even through security uh, and other things. So, yes, effectively, we do have sci-fi-style armor, but uh, what it is, it's mostly implanted into the person or uh, the suits that they wear are pretty typical in terms of behavior. Well, we do have like an armored business suit, you know, or armored T-shirt, you know, things that are woven out of sci-fi uh, textiles that are slightly better than wearing just a T-shirt. Um, but again, you know, even if you weigh, if, even if you have like a Kevlar T-shirt, it still is probably not as good as wearing a proper bulletproof vest. So um, those would be good for covert operations where, you know, you don't want to stick out too much. Um, and that that's where, you know, subdermal armor that, you know, you just develop through your DNA enhancements comes in. And um, are there ceramics in the body armor? 
we tried to make all the um, uh, DNA enhancements based on some si some kind of existing live creature. So like stronger tendons through integrating silks uh, um, from spiders or, you know, better vision by using DNA from birds of prey or like infrared vision by using viper DNA because vipers have infrared vision. And same goes for subdermal armor, which would be similar to um, reptilian armor like um, crocodilians have. Um, so it would be bony keratinous plates that a person grows under their skin and the more extreme you grow them the more visible they will become you know if you, if you grow just a little bit um to stop like a knife or something um you may pass for a normal human even at the beach but some people you know who tend to do everything you know take it to extremes and we will have characters like that who will be very much enhanced um, they can't hide that even under, you know, light um, clothing because it, it will be very visible. I assume that's going to be a factor in gameplay. Yes. Um, there's a number. Basically, we have three types of missions in the game. Uh, there's what I would call stealth missions, and then there's low and high intensity. And the idea is in the stealth missions that you blend in and you don't, you know, just start shooting your way through the front door. Uh, so in those missions, looking like a tank or showing up in a heavy combat suit to the dinner party <laughs> is probably going to blow your cover. Uh, the same thing with, you know, strapping a giant sniper rifle to your back or machine gun and going to the dinner party. Uh, no, I always bring mine. What? <laughs> <laughs> but on the, uh, say, the high-intensity missions, which are out in a desert in the middle of nowhere then, you know, you can bring whatever you want. No one will notice. Well, they'll notice when you get there, but it won't matter. <laughs> they, they won't live long enough to tell anybody. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I guess the real, um, you know, the, the driving factor between not being, uh, not blowing your cover in some of the covert missions is that the government, because your, um, you know, government-sponsored project is classified, they will deny all knowledge of you, and it's like, oh, whatever. I don't know who these people are. Take them into custody. Um, so um, if you uh, get captured, you pretty much automatically fail the mission, um, at least some missions where the um, you know government authorities get involved. Um, on the other hand, you know if the enemies realize that you're an undercover spy, you may have bigger fish to fry too. So um, yeah, just don't blow your cover. <laughs> right now, are the missions um, pre-built or are they uh, procedural generation? Both. Yeah, we have both in the game. Basically, the storyline missions will be pre-built, and the non-storyline missions, uh, the optional ones, will be generated. Hmm. That, and um, is it like fully procedurally generated? those missions so i'm still working on it uh the intent is yes however uh based on how that goes it, it could end up with a few handmade pieces built into them mm. uh is there anything that's uh, in particular giving you uh problems uh the biggest difficulty that i've encountered when is probably on the map generation side when you have to lay out buildings to procedurally generate a building that looks believable to the player. Hmm. 
And I, I think that's part of why you see a lot of games that do procedurally generated maps. The buildings, when you look at them, all have about five times the amount of space between things that a building in real life would have. <laughs> yeah, and it's much easier to generate a series of, you know, caves or some sort of a, um, you know, naturally occurring landscape than a building where, you know, a person would believably live in. That we have a kitchen, and the fridge goes in the kitchen, by the way, and not in this bedroom, and the bedroom should have a bed but not a toilet in it, and, you know, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the toilet should ideally face away from the wall and not be behind a dresser and, you know, all of those things, right? No giant windows in the bathroom. <laughs> I'm waiting for there to be an Easter egg house later on with just that in there. <laughs> But yeah, you'll, it's like you come, it's basically teaching the computer to understand what humans find unnatural. Because, you know, in and of itself, all of the 3D models of the things that, you know, we have in the, in, in, in the system, they're all perfectly fine. And, you know, why wouldn't you place a toilet in the middle of a dining room? I mean, it, it's a 3D model. You can, but... <laughs> But should you? Yeah, but social etiquette indicates otherwise. <laughs> right, and um, in terms of technology, are you using a custom engine or are you using something like Unity or Unreal? So we're based on Unreal. Uh, we're actually just did the migration to 4.15. The uh, thing I should point out is, even though we're on Unreal, we're actually almost entirely C++-based. So we're not using Unreal's blueprint uh, system. We're, we're doing it in real code. I got to admit, I don't exactly know what that means. Um, you know, Unreal has this uh, blueprint language, I guess you call it, um, to make it uh, easier for, you know, non-hardcore developers to create logic in the game. Uh, I, I, I think I get uh, what you're saying now. You it's kind of like you have boxes, and boxes have different functions in them, and then you pull connectors from one to another, and you can put, like, modifiers in, in between, like, take this, do it, you know, modify it this way, output that thing over there. Um, and um, I, you know, I use this myself to create uh, materials, and I... Um, I have to attest, as a thoroughly non-developer person, um, I don't actually think it's easy to learn for me, <laughs> but I've learned it, and now it's very useful. <laughs> but, you know, by the time um, I've learned it, you know, it, it took me a little bit. And was there a particular uh, reason you uh, selected Unreal? Uh, there were a couple reasons. Uh, so... When I've looked at Unity, uh, given my background, having been a graphics person at B and then having worked at NVIDIA for many years, uh, I just always find the look of Unity games to remind me of the past. Uh, so I, I wanted to stick with something that looked that could generate uh, modern high-fidelity graphics. But the other reason was um, my background is C++, uh, Unity is C-sharp. So there's a little bit of an impedance mismatch uh, trying to hook those together. I mean, it can be done, but it's just annoying. Uh, we also looked at a couple other things. We did a test port to uh, Lumberyard a while back, and 
that actually it's very promising, but they're just as they're still in beta and they're they're not quite ready and they won't be on our our time frame. But boy, do they have wonderful water! <laughs> just the water is blowing my mind. I was like, I want to, every level to be an island surrounded by ocean because I love the water, right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, that would have made for a boring game though, every level an island. So, yeah. I suppose it would depend on the kind of game. I mean, if you're going for islands, probably something with pirates in it. Oh yeah, maybe <laughs> next game. <laughs> The pirate expansion coming next year. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so uh, tell us your experiences going through Steam Greenlight. That, you know, it was um, more terrifying than like to 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 set it up. I was. I mean, we both were very stressed because, like. It's a big deal, you know. You're, you're uh, presenting this page to the people to vote on, and you have to put everything that you've been working on for, you know, a year and a half, almost two years, in, onto this one page where people probably won't read most of it. And how do you make it impactful enough? And how do you make it, uh, you know, compelling enough for people to actually vote yes? Um, so. We worked, I mean, I think I worked for about a month or more on setting up that, that page before I actually um, uh, made it live. And it was, you know, we spent so much time also just reading other people's, uh, um, like, reports of how, how did they succeed on Greenlight. And uh, for us, it actually turned out to be, you know, slow and steady wins the race. We started with, you know, with, with a lot of voting happening right away. And um, and then the, the, as the time went on and we fell down from the, you know, original, um, like the, the new games uh, page on Greenlight, the voting slowed down, but then our yes to no ratio improved because... Instead of just everybody on, you know, we, we know that our game is a very niche game um, for people who are, you know, more interested in simulation and uh, strategy games. And that's a relatively, you know, smaller part of the market. Um, but even then, we were getting about 50-50 in, in our votes, yes, yes to no. But then as we started, you know, as the general voting public uh, wasn't voting us on us anymore, and our user, you know, people who were following us on social media, on forums, and so on, were coming in to vote. Um, our ratios started skewing positive more than negative. And yeah, on day 13, we got greenlit. That was um, very unexpected, and uh, like we opened a bottle of champagne and we were very happy. <laughs> that that was a big deal. I, I don't doubt it. And um, uh, how close would you say you are uh, into launching early access? So we have about four things we need to, to wrap up before we can go to early access. Um, I talked a little bit about those in a video recently, but at a high level, it's we're doing the UI refresh. 
where we're replacing a lot of the assets with uh, uh, based on feedback that we got from the demo. And we're working on procedural uh, mission generation so that we'll have more content for the players. Uh, those are really the two big items. And there are a couple other things we want to get done, like uh, get the mini-map in on the game. Um, but we're actually probably, I keep saying six to eight weeks out. I would say it's five to seven now. I'll, I'll move it up one. Uh, but we're not too far off. So I, I think it'll be definitely well within Q2. And what sort of pricing structure are you going for here? So I don't know how much Steam will want to approve or not approve the pricing. Their FAQ say that they are heavily involved, yet other people have reported that they have gotten no input whatsoever from, from Steam. So I don't know and don't hold me to it. But we're looking at the you know twenty plus uh, dollar range, like mid twenties, maybe high twenties, um, and we will you know use the input from the uh, users, potential customers, to kind of adjust that. Um, and also, if Steam will make some sort of uh, market research data available to us, we will use that to uh, set the price rate. Right, and in terms of price, um, um, would it stay the same price continuously, or like um, when it gets released, do you, would you like be raising the price? I think we're gonna price it at, at whatever. It, it, that's you know, again, don't hold me to it. Things may change later, but yes, we want to price it at the final price, and the price will remain the same. Uh, when basically people who are buying early access now will um, we'll get the game sooner and will help us finish it. And I think, um, you know, um, that's kind of their um, contribution. Yeah, the, the value I see in uh, getting players into early access for us, and it's different with every game, is we're very actively seeking feedback. And so buying the game in early access is a chance to make the game more like the way you want it uh, based on, you know, testing it and telling us what you like and don't like. Hmm. All right. Um, um, I'll see if my colleagues here have any final questions. Um, I have one. Are there non-lethal takedown options or missions in the game, or is that just strictly lethal? Uh, there will be non-lethal weapons in the game. Uh, it's on my to-do list. I think it's right around number 14. <laughs> for right now. But the intent is to have non-lethal weapons. You can already do it with melee, where you can just knock people out without killing them. Uh, but in terms of ranged non-lethal, uh, that's not there yet. And, yeah, the idea is that you will be able to knock people out and then take them someplace and interrogate them somehow, you know, so that you can get use out of people that you don't kill by asking them questions. Uh, anyone else? Um, I don't really have a lot of questions, but I do. I think you've answered most of my things pretty. It looks like there are some interesting things you're trying to do with this game, and I hope it goes okay. That's our plan. Uh, yeah, it's not. I, I'm sure it's not easy to put in all the realistic simulation stuff because 
and the the, the the realistic sniper battle ranges uh jumped out at me because that's a thing that uh is very frequently underdone in video games because sniper actual sniping is ridiculously far sometimes yeah e even in the in the trailer that you've shown earlier we have um shots where sniper is engaging targets at um you know over a kilometer away so a thousand meters um that's what 300 plus thousand feet um <laughs> a little over half mile yeah mm -hmm. far far um <laughs> So this is already implemented and, and it's there. Um, and um, and I think this is where, where the mocaps and stuff comes back to haunt us because when you have such a realistic um, simulation of, of the battle and the world, you want the movement to also look very natural and realistic to not break the immersion. Um, so that's why we keep talking that we will need to pay artists to do motion captures because um, if I just sat down and started designing movements in, in like motion builder or something, yeah, I could make them move the legs and, and, and arms the way, you know, to re resemble what we want to show, but it should be natural and not cartoonish because everything else is kind of very realistic in the game. Right. Yeah. So what, if you played the demo we put out, uh, I had been holding off doing a lot of work on the animation system because every time I touch the animation system, it breaks a lot of things. So I, I always try to do it early so that there's time for us to deal with any fallout uh, from those changes. But uh, the animation actually is dramatically improved from what we shipped in the, the first demo. But one other thing I wanted to mention about uh, realistic combat is one of the things about having really long ranges for uh, sniper fire and things like that is you end up with large fields of areas where people are afraid to go. And one of the comments that a player brought up, and it was uh, correct, is that it has the potential to turn into uh, what I would call camping warfare. But one of the ways we're dealing with that is the way you deal with it in the real world, which is moving targets are harder to hit than a stationary target. So if you're sitting still, uh, people are going to be able to hit you from a long, long way off. But if you're moving, they're gonna have a much harder time to hit you. So uh, just standing around in the map is actually something to be avoided as much as possible. Right, especially without cover. Yes, cover is also a good thing. Right, um, so I think that'll about do it. Um, I want to thank you both for taking time out of your schedule for and doing this interview. Thank and, you for having us. Yeah, no problem. And uh, we're looking forward to the game. Uh, it's like, uh, just want to note, um, if you intend to send us copies of the game, uh, we don't review uh, early access titles. Uh, it's just... Um, we'll review them after they'll release, but not during early access. Yeah. We can certainly stream it, but uh, like in terms of actual reviews, we found that games just change too much from early access to release to be accurate. Okay. And plus, yeah. Yeah, that actually sounds very fair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, right. But uh, we are still looking forward to you know the game coming out, you know both in early access and final release. 
Um, right. So the game is Spy DNA. It's coming soon to Steam Early Access. Um, look for it, you know, when it uh, gets released. Uh, and um, we hope you'll enjoy it. All right, uh, Petty Fan, play us to the next segment. So welcome to this week's topic of discussion. Uh, this time around, we're tackling the Echo the Dolphin franchise. Now, it, we seem to be doing a lot of Sega games lately. It's like leaving, leaving me with very little to say on it. Kind of never really having kind of Sega. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> well, maybe we'll cover some Super Nintendo stuff next week. Like, maybe. You have ideas. I'm, I'm not. I'm not actually complaining. As such, it's it's just I never really had a Sega, so I don't feel very really noted. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so most of the stuff I know from hearsay about weird games yeah. with dolphins that end up with aliens for no perceivable reason. Yeah, now I actually had both a Super NES and a Sega Genesis, although I didn't own Echo the Dolphin or. Any of the Echo of the Dolphin games, I I think when I uh, first played Echo was on the GameTap service um, that I've mentioned a few times on this program. Like, and uh, it was only the first game I played. There's a reason for that. It's because <laughs> here's the thing. I, I'm cons uh, constantly shocked at how beloved the Echo the Dolphin franchise is. Uh, okay, I can't speak to the Tides of Time, but in regards to the first game, the first game is fucking terrible. <laughs> the okay. impression I've gotten of the, especially the first game in this series, is that someone at whoever made it said someone else what if there was a game where you just play as a dolphin and you can swim around underwater and there are all kinds of nooks and crannies for you to explore and stuff? And the other guy said, what if that? And then they just kind of made the game based right. on... Well, it's also important to understand the context of the time because, quite honestly, this is like... This is the kind of game that could have only existed in... Uh, um, the 80s or the 90s, like a a franchise, you know, it's a very eco-friendly um, game series starring a dolphin. And for those who don't know or don't remember, um, you know, eco-friendly messages were all the rage in the early 90s, as was um, sea mammals. Captain like Planet, he's a hero, gonna go swim with Flipper the Dolphin and Free Willy. Yeah, 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 stuff yeah. like that. Uh, and, and, you know, the fucking Voyage of the Mimi. I might have been the only one who had to suffer through that. I have apparently watched it when I was really young, but I had no memory of it until we watched it again in, like, sixth grade for some reason that I don't remember. Something, something repressed memories. 
Anyway, uh, I blocked the, that out. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, um, it's definitely a, it's definitely an idea that um, seems very permeable in that context. You know, and it's also uh, this is also important because you know you're playing an actual Dalton here. Um, Sci-fi weirdness aside, um, the mechanics are actually based off of shit Dalton would do. This is not necessarily a good thing. In <laughs> fact, it's a very bad thing. Because one of the one of the most frustrating aspects to the Echo the Dolphin games is oxygen. Yep. See, because you're playing a dolphin, um, you you know, you breathe air. And that's actually replicated in the game series. Yeah, because spoilers, um, dolphins aren't actually fish, they're mammals. Yes. And that means they have to surface to breathe every now and again. And that which is, is a... All, which is all well and good, but sometimes you get a little bit lost underwater. Yeah, and... And yeah, sometimes the, the level design, you know, doesn't really accommodate that. You know, it... it it's basically a you know it's basically a time you know the whole game is played under a timer sometimes that can get really tight um, the other mechanic is sonar yeah. um, location anyway yeah um, and your first thought is probably oh this is my attack like, no, it's not. I'm like, you know, you attack things by ramming into them. Which is pretty realistic. Um, echolocation right. isn't actually enough to stun anything, so. Yeah, it's actually really admirable how realistic um, Echo the Dolphin plays, given, you know, it's a Genesis game, and it goes off the fucking sci-fi rails. One of the things that I heard that kind of was weird is apparently you kind of breach manually. You gotta swim down and then swim up really fast to jump out of the water. Yep. Yes. And it can be really hard to estimate exactly how far and how fast you need to uh, uh -huh. need to go to breach properly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like. Yeah, that's in the game, too. I, I'm like, I'm not sure if it's showing up on the footage because I'm not watching it, but... Yeah. That is definitely part of Echo the Dolphin. Like, in fact, you know, like, the beginning um, area is kind of a playground. In fact, you, um, you have to move the game forward by jumping into the air. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like... In terms of story, the reason why you're not captured along with the rest of your pod is because you're literally in the air. You know? And so you weren't subject to, you know, whatever fucking technology is uh, abducting all the sea life. Anyway, um, you know, to the game itself, um, yes, yeah, yeah, some of the mechanics are frustrating, but what, what really really denigrated Echo the Dolphin was its game design. Like, yeah. You know, both in terms of levels, which are which are 
very infamous for being very windy, very confusing, and Echo the Dolphin is also infamous for not telling you what the fuck to do. Yeah, like, I'm in the first level, and I don't know where the hell I'm supposed to go. I think you're right. You're supposed to jump over the thing. Yeah, like, here, I found some crystal thing that's telling me to find some key glyph, but I don't know what the fuck a key glyph is. pretty reasonable. I mean, dolphins don't know about glyphs. Yeah, they don't have hands to carve things. Yeah, and the key glyphs, like, the clues are often very cryptic. Now, it's like, you've got to, like, and that's where the sonar mechanic comes in. You've got to sing to these king, key glyphs in order to um, either get a hint or move on with the game. Now, I'm like, but mind you, all of this is kind of kids' play to the most infamous part of the uh, first Echo of the Dolphin game. It's like, um, you may have heard of this. Welcome to the machine. Yeah, it's like, for some reason, they, um, they wanted to make a Pink, uh, Pink Floyd reference. But... It was okay. the, the 80s, 90s? 90s. Somebody was, was a fucking sadist <laughs> and made this fucking level. <laughs> Seriously, fuck whoever made Welcome to the Machine. Because, you know what Welcome to the Machine is? It's an auto-scroll level. Oh, God. Yeah, it's like you have to endure ten minutes of pain before you get that to That is a long auto-scroller. Yeah, it's like... Auto-scrollers are not supposed to be more than, like, three minutes long. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's like 10 minutes, but it's fucking long. And guess what? If you die, not just here, but if you die to the final boss, you have to do it all fucking again. There's a special ring in hell for that person. Yeah, there, there's a reason I abuse the shit out of uh, quick saves. I'm like... Yeah, it's like... I don't like this game. And that's the reason why. It's like, it was, you know, it's like, I could tolerate all of the, you know, nebulous level design choices beforehand. You know, it's like having a guide kind of ne negates that uh, fucking issue. Checking uh, a wiki, it's apparently about six minutes, which is still kind of long for an auto-scroller. Yes, it's a very long auto-scroll level. It's very hard. Mm -hmm. And... It's garbage. Hot <laughs> fucking garbage. There's a reason why, you know, it's the most infamous part of of that game. And it's also the reason why I never bothered with any of the other games. Because after that, I was just, like, done with the series. It's apparently a shame because, from what I understand, Echo the Tides of Time... Um, has much better level design. I'm like, maybe I'll go... Um, I have all of the Echo of the Dolphin games. Just, like, you couldn't pay me to play the original one now. Like... Yeah. You know, it's... Also worth noting is how very screwy the, the, the plot line for this game gets. Because... Well, I'll name it in two words. Time travel! 
Yeah, it's like when when you start. Well, it is it is in the title. Yes. And, and so you get all of the associated screwiness um, in terms of time travel. But Echo's not his own grandfather, is he? <laughs> I think he might be. Oh God. <laughs> uh, I, I'm like, well. I, I, I'm like, there, there's definitely uh, trying to like thinking about the time travel stuff because the time travel stuff is also in the first game. Like, you gotta go like, um, you gotta go back in time, and now uh, uh, I'm like, it's all, it's all very screwy and stupid. You know, just reading this is going, oh, jeez. But I'm trying to think. Um, I, I think, yeah, it's like, um, yeah, yeah, the, the, the second one is where you go into the future. I think you have to deal with the future echo. Like I said, you know, it, it, the, the, Plots of both games are really, really complex for a game about a dolphin. <laughs> you know, it, it involves, you know, the vortex and um, going back into time to Atlantis and discovering that, um, uh, you know, the vortex are this um, species that comes around every 500 years because they lost the ability to make their own food. Like, and there's this thing called the astrolite, which you kind of do a stable time loop thing, I think. Like, it, it's really, it, it makes my head hurt. <laughs> like, Something about not enough pot needs more pot. Thereabouts. Yeah, I'm sorry if I'm not, not doing a good job conveying the, you know, the fucking plot of the Echo of the Dolphin games. But this shit is fucking bananas. Mm-hmm. Like, and the third game in the series is Echo Junior, well, uh, which is a whole other trope yeah, of it, yeah. video games and cartoons. Well, this is yeah, it, it's basically Echo the Dolphin for kids. Uh, I know, baby Echo the Dolphin. Yeah. I mean, I know Echo the Dolphin. The Echo the Dolphin games are rated E for everyone, but I I really don't think they're for kids. Not in terms of like design or actual plot. Like, mm -hmm. it, it's like it's certainly not younger kids. Especially, uh, you know, it's like it's not gory, but they're, you know, the Vortex are, you know, um, spoiler alert, inspired by aliens. Because the 90s. Well, because everything was fucking inspired by that franchise in the 80s and the 90s. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, mm -hmm. you, you couldn't, you know, it's like, you, you couldn't go two games without seeing something that was inspired by HR Ge uh, Geeker. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Echo Jr. I never played because, well, guess what? It, it, it's a game for young kids. Yeah. And, and Today it would have probably gotten an a early childhood rating. 
possibly, but uh, you know, I, I think EC ratings are only for actual educational games. Like mm. this is geared towards younger players, but it's not actually educational, which is a bit, which is a bit of a surprise, considering you look at this and you'd think it would be an entertainment game, but no. Like, it's apparent. Like, it's apparently. Um, you know, it, it's a basic game. Like, you don't have to deal with enemies, and you you can't drown in this one. Like, it doesn't look like you can drown in Echo Two. That's why I switched to. Oh. So they got that right at least. Like I said, I never played the Tides of Time. Like, I was just so fed up with Echo after that first game. I, I think I made that clear. You know, mm-hmm. Like. Also worth noting are the Sega CD versions of the Echo games because they have a completely reworked, uh, a completely new soundtrack done by um, Spencer Nielsen. Uh, you know, it's, um, he, you know, they often did this with. Um, you might know him best as the guy who made the North American version of uh, the Sonic CD soundtrack. You know, and he did a whole bunch of other um, Sega CD games. Uh, you know, but that's probably the soundtrack you pro- you'd most know him for. Like, but you know, th- th- this was a f- fairly common thing um, for Genesis to Sega CD conversions because, oh hey, we we've got access to Redbook Audio, and and we can do CD quality sound. So, you know, let's do that fine by me because i mean this genesis could sound good when you worked for or when you worked with it but if you got it wrong the genesis um it can be very tinny oh very yeah. clangy yeah the, the yeah, genesis ha- the genesis has a sound chip that requires careful work yeah yes and after that the, the franchise uh, lay fallow for a good chunk of time until the Dreamcast. Totally forgot how it was out on the Dreamcast. Yeah, um, Echo the Dolphin, Defender of the Future. Like, uh, so as I as I understand it, this is this was actually a reboot. Like, um. I, it's like I gotta admit I don't know much about this one because honestly uh, the reviews really put me off of it because uh, it had like all of the reviews I read back in the day mentioned like the same problem that the first game had um, in terms of you know you don't it's often it's got the um, you don't know what the fuck to do in this game kind of. But, you know, uh, like I said, and unfortunately, um, Echo the Dolphin uh, Defender of the Future only saw release on the Dreamcast and PlayStation 2. So, you know, there is no version on, like, the PC or PlayStation Three, four, what you know? We it hasn't seen successive re-releases like the Genesis version. 
It's like, so, yeah, it looks like the the biggest thing is the importation. It's kind of a it's kind of a hybrid of the, the two previous games because it's got a lot of moves from Defender of the Future, like, and um, noted for having realistic graphics for the time, like. But apparently, you know, it's like, I don't think this game did too much business because, you know, not, like, not only have we not seen Echo the Dolphin um, since this release, uh, it's, like, nobody remembers um, Defender of the Future. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't really come up in the great Dreamcast games discussion. I, th I think, I don't know, I, f I feel like the concept might not be as compelling in terms of pe one of the reasons why people wouldn't be looking too much for a revival of it. Mm -hmm. Well, to be fair, it does have a cult following. Yes. Uh, Echo the Dolphin is um, one of the more well-regarded secondary franchises uh, from Sega during the Genesis era. Like, you know, it wasn't, you know, obviously it wasn't Sonic, you know, or Streets of Rage or Fantasy Star, but, you know, on the other hand, it wasn't, say, The Ooze or Kid Chameleon. <laughs> hey, I actually liked that game. <laughs> you know, or unfortunately Comic Zone. I mean, I rather, you know, I enjoyed Comic Zone to a point, but it didn't really do too much business. Yeah. You know? Echo the Dolphin here, you know, is a four-game franchise. So, clearly, it, it had some measure of success. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I said, I, you know, I should give, um, you know, a Tides of Time a playthrough one of these days, you know, when I actually have time to play something that isn't for the show. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the first game can go fuck itself. It's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to do this, just to rant on that game. <laughs> it's been like 10 years, and it still pisses me off. Yeah. Well, that's I'm officially nice lost. <laughs> yeah. That's the nice thing about having your own show. You can rant about whatever the hell you want. So I think that'll about do it for this topic and indeed this installment of Rise of Silicon. Um, be sure to stay tuned. Uh, MSP is coming up. Uh, we haven't gotten any cancel notifications, so we are expecting no guests this week. So I don't know. We're probably just going to wing something as we always do. Indeed. Yeah. Um, Unless, Ma um, like, you know, Max probably got his uh, usual um, updates to go through. But, you know, I've, I'm not sure if we'll be able to keep politics at bay. <laughs> <laughs> always the concern. Always the concern. But Until we get our new show, and it's always the concern. <laughs> no idea when that's going to happen, like... I'm still working on the logistics. But anyway, so as mentioned at the top of the show, we've got a special Thursday interview happening tomorrow 
at 11 a.m. Yeah, it's regular time this time since the delay was on my end, not the guest's end. But, um, yeah, tomorrow we're going to be talking to Frozen Bites. Um, import, you know, you may... You, you may know them, not necessarily the name, but you've probably play, played um, one of the Trine games. Yeah, th th they made that series. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, and um, we're going to be talking about their latest, Has Been Heroes, which, is, which actually released, I think, a couple days ago. You know, um, it's a... I don't know, I'm not exactly sure how to describe this game. It's kind of a... It's kind of a variant on Plants vs. Zombies, I think. Like, it... I don't know. We'll, we'll talk more about it uh, tomorrow. That's and, odd. That's not what the name suggests to me, but then I haven't tried it out yet, so... Like I said, it... it um, it's kind of hard to describe, uh, and that's actually kind of an issue. We'll, we'll get into it if not in the interview, but uh, definitely in the review. Like, this mm -hmm. game does have a conveyance problem. But, like, I, I actually uh, recommend go watch the um, Nintendo uh, stream on Hasbro... Uh, has, been, has Been Heroes. Um, not, not to be confused with anything involving Hasbro. Right. It's a, it's a bit of a tongue twister there. And yeah, we will be reviewing Has Been Heroes um, this Sunday alongside uh, Ron Gilbert's latest adventure game, Thimbleweed Park. Now, it's like, I actually can't really say anything about Thimbleweed Park at this moment in time because we're actually under embargo until tomorrow. So just going to have to leave it with that. And, you know, until, well, about a half an hour from now, I wish you good gaming. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.